Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood, and back at you with story time. I'm uh, just going to continue on again this week with uh, Glimmer Vale, first book of my Glimmer Vale Chronicles. We got through chapter 12 last week, doing chapters 13 and 14 this week. Almost halfway through the book now, and uh, hopefully you're liking it. Uh, let's see, a little bit of news from the Kingswood Abode. No, not a lot of news. Uh, pretty much a uh, busy week with uh, business this week and my day job and some doing some family stuff. But I did get a, uh update from my narrator, the guy who does narrator for Glimmer Vale, and he's been working on the second one, which is the second book in the series, which is called Outdweller. And that will be ready probably here in the next couple weeks for me to review and then uh, for a publication shortly thereafter. So we'll get to share that with you guys here before too long. Of course, this will be have to finish Glimmer Vale first and then do a couple other things to tide you over and then move into uh, book two. And uh, if people continue to like it, we'll do books three, book four, the short story. Book five, and hopefully at some point by then I'll have book six and seven out and squared away and ready to go from paperback, and we can get all caught up with audio too. Uh, but that's down the road a ways. Anyway, um, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, so uh, without further ado, go straight into it with chapter 13. Enjoy. Chapter 13. Restart. The bar stool was hard, but that was the least of Julian's problems. His injured thigh hurt like no one's business from the afternoon's ride, but that wasn't his biggest problem either. His ears rang from the laughter of several burly fellows off one of the fishing boats down at the docks, and his cheeks flushed with embarrassment. But that, too, wasn't his big problem. A glass on the bar in front of him lay on its side, its dark content spreading slowly across the top of the bar as they drained out. It was almost enough to make him cry. "'The winner!' shouted Horace as he raised the arm of the man next to Julian up over his head. Julian should have known Horace was a fishing man from his attire the first time they met. And being a fishing man, Julian also should have figured he could more than hold his liquor. And so could all of his fishing friends. The winner grinned and shook his raised hand in a clenched fist of victory, then turned toward Julian. Pay up, he demanded in a slightly slurred voice. Julian nodded and reached for his belt pouch. Or, rather, he tried to. It took three attempts to get the laces untied, then another two to get the proper number of coins out. At least, he hoped they were the proper number. It was hard to remember what their bet actually had been. Here you go, he said and held out the coins, which the winner snatched away quickly. What was that fellow's name again? Y'all right, boy? Horace asked. Julian waved him off. Fine, just fine. I'm... He wanted to say something else, but all that came out was a loud belch. The fishing men around him burst out laughing again. Bugger me, he muttered and pushed himself away from the bar. He must have pushed harder than he intended because he found himself stumbling backwards. The taproom swayed and spun around him, and he began to get a queasy sensation in the pit of his stomach. 
that wasn't good. His grasping hands found the back of a chair, and he smiled in relief. He managed to maneuver himself around the chair and collapsed down onto the unpadded seat with a sigh. The room instantly slowed down, and he was able to at least somewhat regain his equilibrium. Water. He needed some water. Right here, Horace said, pushing a cup into his hand. How had he known what Julian needed? That was a worry for another time. Right then, all Julian cared about was getting that water down his gullet. When he finally came up for air, he let out a great sigh. His head still spun, and he was still a trifle queasy, but that was fading quickly, and at least he was less thirsty. Thanks, he said. Pleasure's mine. Horace pulled a second chair around and sat down. What's got you so wound up, boy? What you talking about? You normally don't tie one on this way. Julian spluttered. Hey now, you don't know me that well. Horace chuckled. <laughs> I know when a man can hold his liquor and when he's gone well past his limit. Julian waved off his words with a dismissive gesture. I'm fine. <laughs> you can barely stand. Really. What's the problem? Julian looked away from the old fishing man and toward one of the fireplaces. Pushing down a surge of queasiness from the suddenness of change in his field of view, he swallowed hard before replying. My friend and me were helping Mallory with the attacks. Horace's eyes narrowed. Was that so? Nodding, Julian replied. Yeah. Thing is, there's, what, fifty of them? If we knew where they were based, that'd be one thing, but... He threw his hands out in an overly exaggerated gesture of helplessness that sent the last of his water flinging out of his cup and into the face of a passing waitress. Hey! She exclaimed. Oh, I'm so sorry. Julian stammered as he stumbled to his feet. He had a handkerchief somewhere. Ah, there it was. Here, let me help. Julian held the handkerchief out and tried to help sop up the water on her shirt. She screeched and pushed him away. He found himself stumbling backwards until he struck something solid. Looking back over his shoulder, his spirits sank as he realized that the something solid was a large man with an unruly black beard who had just stumbled forward into his equally large friend, spilling both their drinks. Gents, I'm real sorry, was all Julian was able to get out. The bearded fellow growled as he spun around. Then, from out of nowhere, a very large fist struck Julian in the cheek and he saw stars. He didn't stumble. He toppled to the floor in a heap. There he lay for a long moment, tasting blood as he tried to figure out what the gaping hole he was staring into was. Finally, it came to him. He was staring into his now-empty cup, which lay on the floor beside his head. Stay down! The deep, gravelly voice could only belong to the bearded fellow. It probably would have been smarter to do what the large man said, but Julian wasn't in the mood to listen to the smart thing. Anger and a bruised ego demanded he get up and trounce the man. That was easier said than done, however. Julian got his hands below his torso and pushed himself up onto his hands and knees. There he stopped as another wave of nausea swept over him. He swallowed again to avoid losing his dinner and took a deep breath. Then, equilibrium restored, he forced himself erect. Or, rather, he tried to. But as soon as his hands left the floor, he collapsed again. Undaunted, he tried a second time with the same result. Somewhere above himself, he heard voices, but he could not make out the words. Then suddenly he felt hands on his upper arms, and someone hauled him to his feet. Two someones, in fact. Looking slowly left and right, Julian saw that he was being supported by two of his new drinking buddies, one of them the fishing man who had won the bet. The two men guided him to a table and helped him into a chair, then set another cup of water in front of him. 
As he sat down, he looked back over his shoulder and saw Horace talking with the two large men. A waitress, a different one, came by and delivered drinks, which the men accepted. Then Horace clapped the bearded one on the shoulder and, with a friendly grin, turned and walked away from them toward Julian's table. Horace's smile faded as he sat down across from Julian. Those boys are touchy, and they drink top-shelf liquor. You just cost me a fair amount of money. I didn't ask you to help, Horace snorted. <laughs> didn't need to, did you? Drawing a deep breath, he paused for a moment. Then, after making a dismissive gesture, he said, Don't think anything of it. Now, he leaned forward and clasped his hands together on top of the table. You were saying? Bad day today is all. Horace did not reply. He just fixed Julian with a flat stare. With a sigh, Julian explained what happened, how they failed in their pursuit of the prisoner. He almost found himself telling Horace about Melanie's role, but caught himself at the last moment and instead took a drink of water. Long story short, we're back to square one. Except that now they know who we are. And they'll come looking for us. We're screwed. Hmm. Your buddy agree with you on this? Julian shook his head. No. Ray's never one to accept reality, even when it slaps him in the face. Funny thing about reality, boy. How you look at it changes what it is. Maybe it was just the alcohol, but Julian couldn't make sense of what that was supposed to mean. Reality was, well, reality. It didn't change. Horace chuckled softly. <laughs> From the look on your face, I just lost you. He stood up suddenly. Walking around the table, he clapped Julian on the shoulder and said, I'll explain in the morning, when your head's not full of mud. Horace walked over to the bar and spoke with the bartender for a short time, making some gestures in Julian's direction. Then he left the inn. His fishing men friends left with him. Julian awoke to sunlight streaming in through the window in his and Radric's room and instantly wished he hadn't opened his eyes. His head pounded, and his mouth was so dry as to feel gravelly on his tongue. He felt more than a little queasy as well, and the bright light did not help matters one bit. Pressing his palms to his forehead, Julian groaned softly and lay still for a moment. This was not going to be a good day. He glanced aside to the other bed and was not surprised to find it empty. Radric almost never slept in. But then, they couldn't really afford to be late risers. Knowing that didn't make it any easier to sit up and swing his feet over the side of the bed. Or to stand, grab a towel, and shuffle across the hall to the privy and the baths for his morning routine. A bath left him feeling slightly more human. And, as he tromped down the stairs, the ache in his head helped him ignore the twinges of protest from his wounded thigh. Maybe a hangover was good for something after all. The taproom had more patrons than usual in the morning. Maybe it was just that it was later than he normally came down. He limped over to a table near the bar, scanning the crowd as he went. Radric was nowhere to be seen, but Julian recognized several men who stood in a cluster at the bar, the fishing men from last night. He ordered tea and the standard fish breakfast, then slouched forward at the table and rubbed at his temples with his fingertips, wishing he could rub the ache out. Sooner than he expected, he heard footsteps approaching his table and looked up, but instead of the waitress with his tea, Horace stood there. His weathered features were rested and alert, as though he hadn't been up well past midnight drinking with the younger men at the bar. Morning, boy. Looks like you could use some help. Julian winced. Not so loud, please. Horace chuckled and sat down in the chair across from him. The old man reached inside his coat and pulled out a small vial. He set it on the table and pushed it across to Julian, saying, When the tea gets here, put some of this into it. It'll do wonders for your head. Is that right? He picked up the vial and held it to the light from the nearby window. Within was an orange-red fluid of some sort. I've heard of plenty of hangover cures. Tried them all. 
He raised an eyebrow at Horace. None of them work. Horace leaned back in his chair and scratched at his chin. You this cynical about everything? I'm not cynical. I'm realistic. (laughs) Sure, Horace replied with a snort. Well, how's this for realistic? Leaning forward, he tapped at the top of the table with his index finger. Me and my boys are going to help you and your friend. Just call, and we'll be there to put the fear of the gods into those thugs. Julian blinked in surprise and looked from Horace to the other fishing men. They numbered a dozen in all, all weathered from days out on the lake, all solid and strong. And every one of them was watching him and Horace from across the room, wearing the resolved expressions of men ready for a hard day's work. I don't understand. Mallory told us you were leery about lending a hand. That's just the management. Horace spat to one side as he said the word. I'm head of the guild, though. If I say we don't work so we can help you defend the town... He grinned and spread his hands. We don't work. And ain't a damn thing management can do about it, unless they think they can man the boats themselves. Cause they sure won't find anyone else in these parts to do it. We'll see to that. Julian's jaw dropped. How... Of course, if I were to do that, management might just decide running a fishing company is too much trouble. Close up shop, take their money, and run. Crossing his arms over his chest, he continued, Me and my boys can run the boats, but we don't have the money or the contacts with the merchants outside the Vale to make it worth a damn. So it's a balancing act. Management knows I can shut them down, but they know I'm buggered if I do. So you're saying, I'm saying, boy, that those men there... He jerked his thumb in the direction of the men at the bar. Volunteered to help you two out, and I got management to keep paying them while they do it. Julian looked from the men at the bar to Horace in disbelief, and found himself speechless for a moment. Finally, he managed to say, Horace, I don't know what to say. Thank you. The old fishing man grinned. Reality looks a bit different in the morning, don't it? Chapter 14 New Blood Raedric walked into the tap room a bit before noon. Spotting Julian almost immediately, Raedric strode quickly over to where he was chatting with the new recruits near the bar. Breakfast had helped settle Julian's stomach, but Horace's hangover cure was as miraculous as he claimed. His headache reduced to a barely noticeable throb. He smiled cheerfully as his friend arrived. Raedric's opening comment removed his smile quickly, however. Good to see you're up and about. I've just been at the mayor's office. That could not have been fun. Was it bad? You could say that. I thought sure he was going to pull his hair out. He's terrified, convinced that we've brought more harm than good already. Does he want us to leave then? Raedric shook his head. I offered, but he practically begged us to stay. He sighed. I'm not sure he knows what he really wants, except for this whole episode to be over. So we still have a job. That's good, I suppose. Raedric shrugged, then looked past Julian to the fishing men. Who are these guys? Julian grinned broadly. My... Dear friend, he made a sweeping gesture as though he were a herald introducing an arriving dignitary. May I introduce our army? Julian had thought the morning could not get any better. The confused expression on Raedric's face proved him wrong. What are you talking about? Julian laughed. (laughs) These fine fellows have pledged to help us against the brigands. Wagging a finger at his friend, he went on. I keep telling you, staying up late and drinking with the locals always reaps benefits. Radric's eyebrows rose high onto his forehead. He turned to regard the fishing men for a long moment, his veteran eyes taking their individual measures in a silent appraisal. Finally, he cleared his throat and said, Have any of you ever used a sword? One hand went up, from a swarthy fellow in his middle years near the back of the group. A bow? Three more hands went up. 
Radric rolled his eyes and gestured for Julian to follow him. The two friends moved several paces away. Radric spoke softly, even though it was all but certain they were out of earshot. What the hell good does it do us to have amateurs backing us up? Julian knew this was coming. I've thought of that, Ray. All these fellows are strong and know how to work hard. They can learn. A soft snort was Radric's initial response. <laughs> it takes months to learn the sword to the point where you won't accidentally stab yourself in combat. We have days, maybe a week or two. But the brigands don't know they can't fight, do they? They look impressive enough to help with any negotiations we may do. And when Farzal calls our bluff, then what? Julian shrugged. The bow's a lot easier to learn than the sword, long as they stay out of reach. He spread his hands. What did Radric want? This was far from an ideal situation, and beggars couldn't be choosers. He could tell Radric did not like the idea at all, but he also recognized the necessity of increasing their numbers. After a brief pause, he nodded acquiescence. As Radric moved back toward the group of fishing men, Julian heard him mumble, Lambs to the slaughter, under his breath. He hoped his friend's assessment was wrong, even though he secretly shared it. More loudly, Radric said, All right, gentlemen, it's time to learn a new trade. Meet us at the constable's office in a half hour. If you have anything that can pass for armor, a leather apron, gloves, boots, or any actual armor may be passed down through the family, bring it. Same goes for weapons. Questions? Several of the men shook their heads, but all remained silent. Radric nodded. All right. A half hour. With that, the men quickly dispersed, exiting the inn alone or in groups of two or three. All moved with a sense of purpose and a serious demeanor. It was hard not to be impressed by their attitude, at least. Constable Mallory appeared surprised when Julian asked him for the use of his bows and swords. How many? All of them. His jaw dropped. Why? Radric grinned at him. We've got some new recruits. I don't suppose you have a place to shoot around here? Mallory nodded. Down this street, just past the edge of town. Fendig and I set up a few targets for practice away from where most people travel. Who are these recruits? Just then, the swarthy man who had claimed knowledge of the sword walked into the office. Though Julian still had his doubts about him, the man had on a leather breastplate that looked at least passable, and wore a curved sword with a hand and a half hilt on his hip. He looked the part at least. We're here, he reported, then he turned to go. Wait, Julian said. What's your name? Salam. Have the others come in and grab a bow and a sword, Salam. The swordsman nodded and exited the building. Constable Mallory shook his head in surprise. I didn't know he had a sword. Hell, I didn't know he knew anything besides knots, currents, and tides. He spends more time on the boats than anyone. Mallory smirked slightly, then looked at the two friends and shook his head. How on earth did you convince the Covington brothers to let their men off work? I take it they own the fishing company? Julian asked. Mallory nodded. Julian grinned at him. Don't need an inn with the owners if you drink with the workers. The fishing men began trooping in and collecting weapons. Grinning a bit more at Mallory's renewed expression of confusion, Julian clapped them on the shoulder and followed the first pair of recruits out onto the street. It was time to figure out what he and Radric had to work with. Three hours later, Julian's spirits were quite a bit lower. Despite experience having taught him to expect poor performance from beginners, Horace's pledge of support combined with the fishing men's eager attitude conspired to make him forget that lesson. Julian thought sure they would be, if not skilled, at least passable. It was a struggle to claim even that much. Not that the entire group was a loss from the start. The men who earlier claimed experience with the bow all managed to get arrows downrange without difficulty, and even hit the targets a time or two. Everyone else, though. Julian winced just thinking about it. Most of the men had bandages on their forearms from their bowstrings, 
Almost all were quite a bit less enthusiastic than they had been at the beginning. They did make progress, Radric whispered into his ear. A little. More loudly, Julian said, All right, gentlemen, that was a good start. Obviously, we've got a fair bit of ground to cover before you'll be ready for combat. We'll meet here at sunrise every day to work on it, and we won't quit until sundown except for lunch. Before you know it, you'll be hitting bullseyes with ease. He managed not to sound ironic as he said that last. He seriously doubted many of them would progress beyond merely competent, but that was all he needed them to be. Are we going to work the sword too? asked one of the younger fishing men. Julian would have called him slender except for his bulging stomach. Everything else about him was thin as a rail. He had been the closest to promising of any of the men who had no previous experience. Julian shook his head. Yes, but one thing at a time. Once you can get arrows downrange with some accuracy, we'll teach you how not to stab yourselves. But your default should be the bow. A sword is a lot more difficult, and frankly, we won't have time to make you proficient with it. The young man nodded, disappointment clear in his eyes. Radric spoke up. You're dismissed for the evening, gentlemen. The men nodded and began to disperse when Radric added, Salam, Hiram, Rolf, and Gilroy. Please remain for a moment. The swordsman and the three practiced bowmen lingered as their fellows departed. Julian waited until the others were out of sight before addressing them. Since you have more practice than the others, we're going to lean heavily on you when the time comes. Are you up for it? Salam looked uncertain. I'm no good with a bow. That was an understatement, from what Julian had seen this afternoon. However, Radric spent some time with him and walked away impressed with his swordsmanship. No mean trick, that. That's why you're going to teach these three the basics of the sword while Ray and I focus on the others. Salam blinked in surprise, then grinned broadly and nodded. The look he gave the other three was almost predatory. Julian made a mental note to keep an eye on him. In that case, we'll... Radric! Julian! Fendig's voice sounded as though he was in a near panic. What was he doing here? Julian turned around just as the deputy came to a halt and bent over, placing his hand on his knees and panting heavily. He was sweating as though he had just sprinted the entire distance from town. What's wrong, Fendig? Fendig coughed and took a deep breath, then forced himself to stand up straight. Farzel! He managed between breaths. He just rode into town with a bunch of his men. He's going to the town hall for the mayor. Bugger me, Julian breathed. We're not ready for a showdown. Radric nodded in agreement. Let's hope it doesn't come down to that. Looking at the four remaining fishing men, he said, You guys spread out on the street and be ready to cover us if it comes down to a fight. The four newcomers swallowed hard and nodded. Only Salam looked truly calm. The others looked ready to jump out of their skin. Julian couldn't blame them. It was far too early in the game for this sort of confrontation. And him all but crippled, too. It was enough to put the notion of flight into his head for a moment. Then he met Radric's eyes and saw the same dread that he felt but it was suppressed beneath a steely resolve. If he didn't know Radric as well as he did, he would not have known he was anxious at all. But then, he always had been good at projecting calm. The two friends exchanged nods, and Radric smiled thinly. Let's get it done. Loosening his sword in his scabbard, Julian set off at a trot toward Town Hall, trying his best to jog through the twinges from his thigh. Hey, all right, we're getting some more help. <laughs> that can't be anything but good. Man, it's good to go drinking with the guild leaders sometimes. So yeah, I enjoyed writing the uh, chapter of Julian tying one on just because, well, I, I did. I think it was kind of a funny, funny chapter. I don't know what you thought. But uh, hey, it's good to uh, get more teammates, and looks like you're about to need them because holy smokes, bad guys coming into town, straight to town hall. Well, that can't be good. Man, if only I'd let you know what's going to happen. But now I'm going to make you wait until next week. 
when we get to the next chapter. Of course, you can always go buy the book or the audiobook and uh, get ahead of your, your compadres who are just listening to this podcast. But that's entirely up to you, of course. As always, you uh, know where to go to find the stuff. Uh, all my any bookstore out there, everywhere has my books, and all the any place you can get audiobooks has this on audiobook as well. Of course, I prefer you go to my website, thisascendstorytelling.com, because I get more profit margin if you buy directly from me. And I've got it set up so you can get things easily installed onto your systems from there. But up to you. Barring that, uh, hey, like, subscribe, uh, whether you're watching the video or the podcast, subscribe, share with all your friends, let them know who uh, who might be interested in uh, this kind of story or any of the other types of stories that I write. And uh, hey, drop me a line. Go to the website, drop me an email. You can find me on uh, Facebook, though I'm holding almost never there because I think I told you a few weeks ago I hate Facebook with a passion. I actually delight, deleted my personal account completely. I have a ghost account that I set up under the Michael Kingswood pen name just to keep the page that I had developed for writing up, but I do nothing with it except occasionally uh, post updates. I, yeah, that's really about it. Well, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me other places. And uh, But the best way to reach me is my email through my website. Right, that's all I got. I'll talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mailing list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>